turn me back on. So Matthew, my tiny theologian, just said, well, I said I'm thankful for God. And technically, God created all things, including you. So when I say I'm thankful for God, I'm thankful for all things, including you. Yes, says Matthew, who will someday be an attorney. Yes, or a politician, I'm not sure, or maybe both. All right, grab your seat. Good morning. Will you join me in the prayer for illumination as printed on the wall and in your bulletin? Loving God, help us to see the gift you have given us in your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to know and recognize that all of creation comes from you. Today, as we gather in worship, we give you thanks for your abundant love. May our faith be renewed by your word. We ask knowing that all things are possible for those who love you. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 5 through 12. In former generations, this mystery was not made known to humankind, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That is, the Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, and shares in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I have become a servant according to the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. Although I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to bring to the Gentiles the news of the boundless riches of Christ and to make everyone see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the wisdom of God in its rich variety might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with eternal purpose that he has carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have access to God in boldness and confidence through faith in him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Diana. In youth group this past week, uh, we learned about Paul. Heidi taught a lesson on uh, our identity and how we understand ourselves. We learned about Paul, St. Paul. We talked about Paul's origin story. We learned that Paul grew up in the Jewish faith, was taught by the best rabbis, had the best education, and grew to be called a Jew among Jews. He was the best of the best. In his adulthood, Paul became a defender of the Jewish faith. There was this prophet, this teacher. He called himself Jesus. He was amassing quite a following, this Jesus. I'm going to stop for just a second. Is there anyone in the room uh, that has served on trustees or any, that knows how to turn this fan down? Do you hear that? Thank you, John Aldrich. It's driving me bananas. That was the goal. Well, check. <laughs> 
Thank you so much. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna back up a second. Paul, Jew among Jews, uh, the best of the best. We talked about what Paul's resume would look like. His resume looked pretty good, and so he, after Jesus, oh thank goodness, praise the Lord, uh, and and thanks to John. <laughs> thanks, John. Good job. That's right. After Jesus was gone, these followers of Christ continued to create friction within the religious community. Paul was an ardent defender of his precious faith, and he would go to any length to defend it. After all, he was a member of God's chosen people. This new gospel of grace was so foreign to him. How could God be erasing the boundary between Jew and Gentile? That is not possible. This kingdom is not meant for all people. That's not how the ancients understood the teachings of God. In Paul's mind, there was a difference. There were insiders and outsiders, chosen and not chosen, faith-filled and faithless. In youth group, we talked about Paul's impressive resume and, and how we often decide what wonderful characteristics that we may possess that would get us into heaven. We talked ultimately that what gets us into heaven is Christ. See, Paul's resume may have been impressive. He may have been a scholar in the faith, but his heart was not opening, open to what God was doing, what God was revealing to him. His eyes were closed to the possibility that Jesus had indeed come as savior to all people. Paul could not wrap his mind around such grace. There were clear lines drawn. Paul struggled to see that God's love and grace could include all people, clean and unclean, that grace offered salvation to all, man, woman, child, Jewish, Gentile, you name it, they were all God's people. It's a lot to take in. And it's easy for us to sit in the judgment seat and to condemn Paul for what he did. After all, as a defender of that faith, he did some terrible things. He had people arrested or worse. People were hurt and killed under his order for being members of this new faith. People were arrested for being disciples of Jesus. But you have to understand that, that people of that time especially people within this faith community, understood Paul's motives. He was protecting the teachings of their people, of generation after generation of their people. He was protecting their very belief system. Everything they had was hinged on those beliefs. Their communal reconciliation with God hinged on their ability to follow the holy law. Paul was defending that holy law. Paul struggled to understand the grace of God. The ancients thought that God's grace may be reserved to a certain population of people, but God's grace is wider and deeper. The ancients believed that God's grace would come in the form of liberation for them. They believed that the Messiah would come and would enable them to be empowered in a way that they had not been before. See, God's people had been fighting and warring since the very dawn of creation. And God's people thought that they would become victors 
in a worldly way when the Messiah came, yet God's grace came in a different form. God's grace didn't come in exhibitions of power. It came in the form of a man that they struggled to even identify as God. See, this idea of grace is revolutionary. It's not for the weak of heart. The idea of grace is challenging. Grace is difficult to understand. Our understanding, our trying to understand it at all is a failure on our parts. We don't have the words. We don't have the the gray matter to fully comprehend grace. We don't have the words to define the grace of a God who would later meet Paul on the side of the road. When Jesus met Paul outside of the city of Damascus where he was going to further the orders for the persecution of these new Christians, Jesus said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Paul was on a mission to defend his faith and to destroy those who would challenge him. And here we find him face down on the side of the road speaking to the God he was challenging. Jesus said, why are you out to get me? In other words, why are you hurting me? Paul was hurting God by hurting God's people. Paul was hurting God by being a stumbling block, a stumbling block to God's grace. Paul was trying to slow the message of grace as it was spreading. And from the outside, from the reader's point of view, it looks like God is taking down the bully. And I'm sure all of those who had been persecuted at Paul's order were saying, yes, finally. All of those that Paul was trying to keep outside would cheer from the sidelines if they saw him on his knees on the side of the road, just like when someone is finally brave enough to stand up to the bully and socks him right in the nose, knocks him down. Finally, that guy got what was coming. Paul is stricken blind in this encounter. He's led by the hand into the city and he sits in darkness for three days. God does a lot of good work in three days. Meanwhile, over here, a disciple named Ananias is over minding his own business, doing his thing, and God comes to him in a vision and says, Ananias, I have a job for you. Yes, master. The eager disciple responds. Isn't that how we show up often? God says, hey, I want to do this cool thing. Yes. What do you want to do? What are we going to do today? And then God says, Ananias, I want you to go and I want you to minister to the blinded Saul of Tarsus, who we know as Paul. God tells Ananias, I'm going to use you to restore his sight. And Ananias, who just a few moments ago was, yes, master, what do you want me to do? was like, whoa, God. Let's pump the brakes on that idea. You can't be serious, right? Do you know, I love when we ask God if God knows, cracks me up. Do you know who that is? Do you know what he's been doing to to your people? Do you know the terrible things? And now he's come to Damascus to further this reign. I can't go over there to that guy. Do you know that guy? People of God, how predictable are we? 
Paul was trying to exclude people from the faith by deciding that he knew better than Jesus and this new gospel of grace. Ananias is trying to exclude Paul from restoration because he thought he knew better than the God offering new sight to Paul. You see, this is why grace is tricky. This is why grace is revolutionary. This is why grace will not be contained once God can convince his people. Once God can convince God's people. See, we see a glimpse of that irony here, how we believe we know best. In this moment, God has chosen what appears to be a hateful, vindictive hater of grace or what the faithful would see as a defender of their precious faith. But God has called Paul to do something new. God has called Paul to be a proponent of grace. And we see the fruit of that work in Paul's writing in Ephesians today. In this reading of the words that Diana shared with us, Paul writes, it is my life's work to help people understand and respond to the message of Jesus Christ. Oh, how it is a new day. This is my life's work, he said. I will give anything that I have up to and including my own life that the gospel may be spread. I imagine he had a couple uncomfortable conversations in his backtracking. Imagine the backtracking he had to do to get this done. He had spent so long preaching a gospel of exclusion of God's chosen, and now he's on this Jesus people tour telling everyone about the saving grace of Christ, but for God. And imagine the response, because we're we're not always a forgetful people. Can you imagine as Paul went on this new uh, crusade of the gospel, they would say, wait a minute, do you know who that was? Wasn't that the guy? You know, can you imagine the parking lot meetings after those ministry moments? Did you hear what he said? He used to say this, and now he's saying that, but for God. But we have to acknowledge that too. That God can take the guy who had the, the new Christians arrested or worse, and God can flip everything about his life and cause a 180. And even Paul says in this word today, here I am, me, preaching and writing about things that are way over my head. The inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ. Paul, a Jew among Jews, the most learned fellow, a scholar in the faith, goes, wait, I'm really underwater over here. I'm preaching about things that are way out of my league, but for God. Paul is preaching about the freedom and passion that comes with this kind of grace-filled life. Paul is telling us that he has given up everything and commits to continue to give up everything. He says, I'll go to jail, I'll go to glory in order to protect this gospel message. Notice, he's not killing other people to further the gospel. He says, I'm willing to go myself. If God can use that guy, the enemy of the new church, 
If God can use an enemy of Jesus himself to spread the gospel, to become a conduit of grace, a channel of grace, what can God do with us? If we just buy in. Because, you know, that's, that's where we get it wrong sometimes. Sometimes we believe we've accepted grace and grace is a wonderful plan for our lives and that's where it stops. See, Paul could have done that. When his vision was restored, he could have said, praise the Lord, I'm going to be the best Christian you ever saw. But instead of being me-centered, instead of being egocentric, he said, I'll give everything that I have. We say, I'll give everything that I want to on the right day, right? Understanding that Jesus came and dwelt among man to the point of being misunderstood to the point of death so that we could be reconciled with God should blow your mind. Understanding that Jesus gave all that he had, blood, sweat, and tears, so that we could enjoy a grace-filled life should be the thing that we give thanks for. To understand that that kind of generosity is life-changing, also life-giving. But it's hard to understand. It's hard. Christianity is not for the weak. It's work. We don't know what to do with that kind of grace sometimes. If we use Paul as an example, the question isn't what do we do with it, it's what don't we do with it. Sometimes we act as if we accept grace and we accept God's favor and then we become the gatekeepers of it. Friends, we are not the gatekeepers of grace. We are not qualified and frankly, we might act like we want the job, but we don't. We are not the gatekeepers of grace. We are called to be channels of grace. Our churches are called to be channels of grace. And then we say, great, I'm gonna be a channel of grace. What does that mean? What does it mean? First, we acknowledge this grace for ourselves, that while we were yet sinners, Jesus came and died that we may be reconciled to stand before God. While we were yet sinners, while we were deep in sin, we acknowledge that the God of the universe who created us and loves us gave Jesus life for us and it changes us today. We acknowledge that we are fully known and fully loved just as we are that we are on journeys of sanctification, which is a really big seminary word for we're on a journey of improvement. God is continuing to work within us and draw us closer to God's true nature for us. God is working on us. It's like a DIY, but DI that God. God's working on us. God is continuing to work within us and draw us closer to God's true nature within us. See, that's the thing. We decide we know what's best for other folks. I don't know what's happened to any of you in your lives. I can't speak to what God is telling you to do. God can speak to you and God will speak to you. My job is to become a channel of grace. 
God is making us more and more like Jesus. We just have to allow that to happen and work for that to happen and see the new things that God is calling us to. And frankly, God doesn't call us to things that we've already thought of. So if you're comfortable with where God's calling you, probably keep listening. Because we can think of good ideas ourselves. God thinks of God ideas. Grace is knowing that beauty is within you, that you are fully known and fully loved. Grace is being grounded that we, knowing we are valuable. Grace is knowing that God has been with us each and every day and we have survived 100% of our bad days so far. 100%. Even the very worst ones. We've made it. And grace looks different than what we think. For some people, grace may look like making it through the next five minutes and staring at the clock and thinking, I don't, I don't, I don't have this. I don't have this. And watching the second hand move and praying for God to just help you. Sometimes that's grace. Sometimes grace looks like a beautiful sunset where you're reminded that this world is a lot bigger than what lies before you. Sometimes grace tastes like a cool drink of water or a hot cup of coffee. Grace is the excitement of children and the laughter of older people. Grace in the church looks like babies. And when we make space for babies and toddlers, when we allow moms to exhale in worship when their child is being absolutely ridiculous and they want the very floor beneath them to open up and swallow them to wherever it would go because it would be better than here. When we say, you know what? I've been there. I remember I'm so glad you brought them. When we validate people rather than judge people, that's what grace looks like. Grace is a hot meal for someone when they need it. And oftentimes we think of someone who can't afford a hot meal, but it's not, it's that, but it's not always that. Grace is often a hot meal for someone that just doesn't have it. Maybe they're sick. Maybe they're tired. Maybe they're sick and tired. And they just think, I, I just, and then we show up. That's grace. Grace looks like a text or a phone call to check in with someone. Hey, I saw you today and seemed like you were a little off. Just wanted to check and make sure you're good. Or hey, I noticed you weren't in church Sunday. We really miss you when you're not there. Not because we're keeping your attendance. Because we love you. And when you're not here, part of our community is not here. When, when I look out and I see the pew where Lloyd always sits and Lloyd isn't there, my first thought is, oh, why isn't he at church? My first thought is, gosh, I hope he's okay. I miss, I miss when Lloyd's not at church. 
I miss when these pews are empty. And I miss the fact that there could be people in all of these spots. I miss people who have never sat in this sanctuary. I miss people that we have never invited. I miss them because I know Christ misses them. When we let people know that they are accepted in our community and we miss them when they're not here, even if they've never been here, that's what grace looks like. Grace looks like picking up kids in the cool bus and then seeing all the grown-ups that come. We had 21 kids at Sycamore last week. Two years ago, we had zero. 21 kids. Some of them have never set a foot in one of our churches. Praise God. Some of them will never come on a Sunday morning, but man, on Wednesday, we have church. That's what grace looks like. Grace looks like connecting, collecting enough material to pack 165 shoeboxes so that the gospel can be spread around the world, that they know that God sees you too. Grace looks like packaging over 2,000 ornaments for our troops. Our churches collected 2,000 ornaments out of 3,200 collected across our county, we collected 2,000 that, that men and women who are serving around the world in conditions that we don't even want to imagine will remember that it's Christmas. Grace looks like every week when Wendy raises them up in prayer. Grace is our prayer chains. Grace is when someone calls from the nursing home and says, is there a pastor that could come and talk to this woman? She just arrived and she's really struggling. And one of us goes. Grace is worship. Where the broken can come and know that there's hope. Where the, the faith-filled can come and worship their Lord and Savior. Where songs and prayers are prayed in the same space that they have been sung and prayed for 200 years. Imagine the amount of prayers that have been prayed in this space. And the God of the universe has heard and will hear each and every one. That's what grace looks like. Grace looks like being the church that people can come when they're seeking something. They don't even know what they're seeking. Grace looks like when people who are here and here can be in the same space and worship the same God and say, I don't get you at all, but goodness, I love you because you're my brother or sister in Christ. Paul said, this is my life's work. Why wouldn't it be our life's work. We say we want the world to be different. Put your money where your mouth is. Do something. Be grace-filled. Church, we are called to remember our why. Why do we do what we do? We do it because at one time or another, just then when we thought we had things all figured out, just when we were pretty impressed with our resume, Jesus met us alongside the road and we were struck by our own ignorance. We do the work that we do because Jesus is using us to walk alongside each other and to be channels of grace. And all God's people said, Amen.